have a seat. Well, like I said, it's a new season. While the Needs is up for us. It's kind of like our season of serving and season of giving. Lots of great things. We got an hour extra of sleep last night. That's it. Now, whether you used it well or not, that's up to you. But I used it well. I'd like to think my kids did, but they were still up pretty early. Parents, you know how that goes. But it kind of throws us into that new season, doesn't it? October's officially done. We're now in November, November 1st. Thanksgiving, Christmas, like all the things are starting to to show up now. There's something that's been going on in my house that, that it has been happening for the last maybe two or three weeks. But starting today, it's about to get a whole lot worse. A whole lot worse, and I'd say probably for the next two months. Let me just tell you, the word that would describe what we're talking about this morning is suffering. Not how you're going to feel being here this morning, hopefully, but the word that describes what we're looking at in God's word this morning is summed up in that one word, suffering. Now back to the suffering that I'm dealing with in my home. It's been happening for the last couple weeks. It's going to start ramping up big time as of today. And when this happens and as it continues to get worse and worse and worse, I ask myself this question, which anybody that is in a season of suffering, you would ask this question as well. Will this ever end? Right, that's how you know you're in a season of suffering. You start asking that question. Will this ever end? How much longer? Is there any end in sight? Will it get any better? And knowing what is happening in my home, I don't think there really is an end in sight. At least it doesn't feel like there's an end in sight. The suffering that I am dealing with in my home that's about to get exponentially worse is this. The Hallmark Christmas movies are coming on. Yeah, 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 no, no. I've got a bunch of other churches I'd love to introduce you to. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, my wife, over the last several weeks, I mean, before November, these Hallmark Christmas movies have started showing up on our, on our at-home date nights and watching movies together as a couple. And, and knowing that today is officially November 1st, it's going to get a whole lot worse. And so I start out as that, that ideal husband that says, of course, I'll watch one of these with you. And then I watch one, and the whole time I'm watching this, I'm thinking, surely this is about over. This has to be almost done. How much longer is this going to go on? And it finally ends with an ending that I called 20, 20, 20 minutes ago. I'm like, I know how this is going to go. It finally ends, and guess what happens? Another one shows back up. She's like, well, I haven't seen this one. I said, let's keep it that way. Please, when will this end? And we can laugh about that level of suffering, but there's a lot of seasons of suffering that are far from laughable, aren't they? It's easy to laugh about that one, but then when we experience true seasons of suffering, it's so much more difficult, yet we ask the exact exact same question, how much longer? When is this going to end? Will it ever get any better? See, when you walk through a season of suffering, any difficulty, and understand there are extremes of suffering from Hallmark Christmas movies all the way to losing loved ones and everywhere in between, we all ask that same question because it doesn't seem like there's an end in sight. In fact, that defines suffering. Suffering is a temporary situation that feels like it's never going to end. It's temporary, temporary, but it feels eternal. Whether it's physical, emotional, mental, whatever the difficulty is, when we're in that season of suffering, it feels like it's never going to get better and it feels like it's never going to end. Now here's the, the difficulty and the frustration I feel as your pastor. 
Because being your pastor, I see people in their highs and in their lows and their seasons of blessings and also their seasons of sufferings. And people come to me and they're like, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's the suffering I'm going through. And what I do is I listen the best that I can possibly listen with a compassionate heart and compassionate open ears. And by the time they're just done pouring out all that they're going through, I have to say something like, can I pray with you? And that's heartfelt, but it feels super cliche and not helpful at all. Even though I believe in the power of prayer, it doesn't feel like it's enough at times, does it? Because here's what I know you're looking for. When you come to me or somebody else, here's my season of suffering. What you're looking for is, where's that Bible verse that tells me when it's over? Where's that prayer that we're going to pray that magically, magically makes it all disappear and go away? Like, where's that really good three-point sermon, Brian, where, where you tell me what to do and it minimizes all of my suffering, or better yet, I can avoid all of my suffering. That's what we're really looking for, isn't it? We want to figure out how to avoid it. We want to figure out how to minimize it. We want to figure out how to make it go away when we go through it. The reality, the difficult reality is none of those exist. There's not a magic Bible verse or prayer. There's not a lesson I could ever teach you that says, here's the three steps to getting out of your suffering. In fact, we are told that we will experience suffering. We will experience it. You've experienced it. You will continue to experience it, again, on some level of the extremes of suffering. First Peter actually speaks to that. It's not necessarily what we want to hear, but it gives us a little bit, at least, of understanding behind it. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. That's what we're up against. When you head home tonight or this afternoon after church, that's what you're up against. When you wake up Monday morning, that's what you're up against. When you and your spouse are fighting, this is what you're up against. When your kids aren't doing what you told them to do, this is what you're up against. When you look at the finances and you don't know how you're going to make it, this is what you're up against. So what do we do with that? Verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith because, and please don't miss this last part, because you know that your fellow believers throughout the world, not just in this room, not just here at home, not just in our community, not just in our country, but throughout the world, you know that your fellow believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. See, often when we are in a season of suffering, our tendency is to pull back. Our tendency is to check out and to isolate. That's a whole other topic, but that's what we tend to do. And here we're told, don't, don't miss it. A, you're going to suffer, but B, so is everybody else. Everybody's going through some version and season of suffering. Verse 10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Look, after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we recognize who our enemy is, what we're up against. We recognize that it's not just our suffering, but it's everybody throughout the world. We're all suffering in some form or fashion and will. But then we're also reminded that it is temporary. Suffer for a little bit. Doesn't feel like a little bit to us, though, does it? We suffer but Jesus Christ himself restores us and keeps us strong and steadfast and firm in our faith. So that's what we're gonna focus on. Not how to get rid of suffering, not how to minimize your suffering, 
not how to avoid your suffering because we can't do any of those. Let's figure out this last part. What does it look like to stand firm in every season of suffering we'll go through? Let's pray and we'll figure that out. Jesus, thank you so much for your encouragements, for your words, but more than any of that, thank you for already overcoming everything else that we're dealing with. The sufferings that we've gone through, you've already been through them and you have already overcome. So our faith is in you, our hope is in you, our trust is in you. Help us to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at the different local churches in the book of Revelation. Remember, there are seven local churches that Jesus talks to, and specifically, he's, right, he's talking to them to encourage them. We noticed last week that when Jesus talks to these early churches, these local churches, there's something they're doing well, there's something they're not doing well, and then there's, here's what I want you to do. So like a good job, a bad job, and a now do this. We see that in most of the churches, not in all of them. In fact, the one today, there's really not much they were doing wrong, just a lot of Keep going, you're doing well, hang in there. A lot of those types of languages from Jesus. Also remember that Revelation was not written to be like, an, the end is near, repent, that whole thing. No, it's intended for encouragement and strengthening of these local churches, these seven local churches. Because as they were dealing with all these sufferings and all these difficulties, Jesus was telling them, but you know how it ends, right? So like, hang in there, you're good. I win in the end. So Revelation was all intended to be written to these seven local churches, reminding them that Jesus wins and to stay strong, to stay firm in their faith. So we looked at Ephesus last week, the local church of Ephesus. We're looking at the local church of Smyrna today, and here's what we see. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Jesus' words, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, and here's the words that he asked to be written to the local church of Smyrna. These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life. Now hold up there for a second. Please don't miss this. Before Jesus says anything else to that local church of Smyrna, he makes it very clear. You know who, you, who you're hearing from, right? You know who I am? I am the first and the last. I'm the one that died and came back to life. Don't miss that. Before he tells this church anything, he reminds them of who he is. I am over all things the first and the last. I am over death because I died and I came back. So he sets the stage, sets the tone for who he is as a reminder. Then he goes into their context. I know what you're dealing with. Here's what he says in verse nine. Again, Jesus' words to the early church of Smyrna. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are, what's it say? Say it with me. You are rich. Don't forget it. We're gonna come back to it says, I know your afflictions, I know your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. Think of them as pretenders. They're not who they say they are. But they are rather a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Real quick, let me comment on that number 10. It says, you will suffer for 10 days, whether you think that is a literal 10 days, whether that is a figurative 10 days, or whether you get into numerology in the Bible and Revelation and what 10 can mean and what it symbolizes. Regardless, it's a number with an end time, isn't it? Suffering is a temporary situation that feels like it's never going to end. So it will happen, but it will also happen with an ending. 
the suffering that Smyrna is going through. Suffering's a pretty big word or general word. There's a lot of, a lot of specifics that you could tuck underneath suffering. What Jesus points out to this local church, he says, I recognize what you are suffering. I recognize what you're going through. I know you're, remember he says three things. I know your affliction, pain. He says, I know your poverty, what you don't have, what you're lacking, what you're missing. He also says, I know about your opposition. Those pretenders that are saying one thing about who they are, but they're slandering you. He says, I know about all of it. So let's talk about those just real quick, because I think we can identify with each of those. He first says, well, I know your affliction. I know your pain. They were suffering in a lot of ways from physical pain. What you also need to know about the context of Smyrna, not just the church, but also the city. It was known as one of the most brilliant cities in Asia Minor. Brilliant for its beauty, how it visually looked, but also brilliant because of the minds that were in Smyrna. Smyrna was known for its schools in medicine and what we would almost call technology. They were modern. They were on the cutting edge of science. So there was a lot that this city was known for, including emperor worship. So people would come to Smyrna intentionally to grow in their knowledge of science and medicine, but also to worship the emperor. So you can imagine a church that proclaims Jesus as the way and the truth and the life probably wouldn't do so well in that city. There was a lot of persecution. So for Jesus to say, I know your affliction, is probably referring to the physical pain they experienced because of the persecution of the people that were not so excited to have a local church in their city. It says, I know your pain, most likely your physical pain, which then if you know anything about physical pain, it translates into your family, emotional, mental, pain all around, affliction all around. He then says, I know about your poverty. Once again, most likely because of the persecution, they were either, things were taken from them, so they literally had things taken away from them. Maybe they weren't given opportunities that other people not part of the church would have had. Bottom line, they were lacking. They did not have a lot of the stuff they felt like they needed to make it through. I know your affliction. I know your poverty. He says, also, I know about your opposition. He says, the slander that these people are saying. Now, understand, slander is a very brutal and harsh description of what was happening. It's not just, yeah, I know people are making fun of you behind your back. It's not just, I know people are saying some not nice things to you. No, slander is, is heartbreaking and heart piercing. It cuts straight to the heart, the things that were being said, the lies that were being spread. Jesus says, I know about your suffering, specifically the affliction, the pain, your poverty, and your opposition. And when you put all those three together, I would call that the suffering trifecta. It's bad when you're in pain, it's bad when you don't have things, and it's also bad when people oppose you. But when you're dealing with all three of those, that would be a trifecta of suffering if I've ever seen one. And really, suffering is just everything you don't have. I don't have comfort, I don't have security, I don't have resources, I don't have the ability to meet my own needs and the needs of my family. I don't have friends, I don't have people that have my back, I don't have anybody that cares. Affliction. Poverty and opposition. He says, that's what you're going through. That's what the local church of Smyrna was dealing with. Now, what Jesus does not say is, here's how you get rid of it. Here's how you can avoid it from next time. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. No, he recognizes the difficulty of suffering. But what Jesus does do is he helps them walk through that. And that's where I think we're going to be able to learn something from this early church in Jesus' words. There's a word that Jesus uses over and over and over, several times, three times in fact, regarding their suffering. It's 
the word know. Listen, I know your affliction. I know your poverty. I know about the slander. He knows. So here's what I would say to you, same thing that he was saying to the early church of Smyrna. He says, I know what you're going through. Jesus knows what you're going through. Now, on the surface, you could read that as Jesus is aware of what's happening. Jesus is aware of the affliction, aware of the pain, the poverty, and the opposition. But if you dig in, he's saying, not just I'm aware of it, but like, I know I've been there. I've experienced it. I know what it's like. I know what it feels like. I've been in your spot before. I've suffered too. Parents, have you ever had somebody that is not a parent give you parenting advice? Oh, it's the worst. Can I make a confession to you? I was one of those before I had kids. When we lived in California, before we had kids, I traveled quite a bit. It was in airports quite a bit. And, and all the time, I don't know if it was just God's wrath on me for something I had done wrong, but I'd always sit in front of the, the seat kicker kid. You know what I'm talking about for the airplanes? And I remember thinking, what is wrong with these parents? Can you not control your child for a flight? What is your problem? Then I had a child. And I said, I get it. I confess, I am sorry for everything I thought to any parent, because here I am barely surviving. Of course I can't make my kid stop kicking your seat. You're lucky that's all he's doing. <laughs> I get it now. I get it. I did not get it before, but now I get it. Oh, I get it. Can we just pause there for a second? <laughs> I get it. So Jesus is saying, I get it. It's not just, yep, yep, I'm aware of it. Ooh, that sounds rough. Up on his throne, high and mighty. No, he's like, I get it. I've been there. I've dealt with the pain. I've dealt with the opposition. I've dealt with the poverty. I get it. Hebrews actually tells us how he gets it and why he gets it. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, that's talking about Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. In other words, everything that we have experienced, everything that we have gone through, temptations and difficulties and trials and sufferings, he has gone through every one of them. Every weakness we've gone through, he's dealt with. Every struggle we've gone through, he's dealt with. Every single one of them. He can empathize with you because he gets it and he's been there. Yet he did not sin. Where you and I struggle, he didn't struggle. He's dealt with it and he's overcome it. Verse 16, here's how that impacts us. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know about your affliction and I also know what it's like. I know about your poverty and I also know what it's like. I know about your opposition and I know what it's like. I've suffered on the cross, I get it. I understand. But I came out on the other side, I've conquered this. So in your season of struggling and suffering, Know that Jesus knows what you're going through. Second part, Jesus sees much more than what you're going through. Jesus sees beyond what you are going through. You know what tunnel vision is? When you can just see just a little bit, right? When we are in a season of suffering, we have tunnel vision. And Jesus calls it out. He says, I see it. 
I see, he doesn't say it's no big deal. He says, I see your poverty and I see your suffering. I see your pain and I see your opposition. Like, I see all that. I get it. He says, but I also see so much more. What did he say? It was the word I made you say. Let's see if you remember it. He says, I know about your affliction. I know about your poverty. Yet you are, what did you say earlier? You didn't remember. We're gonna have to read it again. See, I try to preach shorter if you guys pay attention. I wouldn't have to say it over and over again. I know your affliction and your poverty. Say it with me. Yet you are rich. How could he possibly say that right after he said you are in poverty? You don't have anything. See, when we're in a season of suffering, we see everything in suffering and we don't see anything else. And Jesus is like, I see your suffering. Oh, but I see everything else. We said it earlier, suffering is really defined by everything we don't have. I don't have comfort. I don't have security. I don't have people that care about me. I don't have people that have my back. All the I don'ts we said earlier, that's all I see. And Jesus is like, I get that. I understand that. But I see everything you do have. Rich is an interesting word that each of us would have a little bit of a different definition for. What you would say is rich, maybe I don't say is rich. What I say is rich, you might not say is rich. I stole something out of my kid's piggy bank this morning. I'll give it back, don't worry. Went into Connor's room, my eight-year-old, and I took a dollar out of his jar. He's got like a piggy bank jar that he puts money that he earns. There's some things in our house that you just have to do because you're a hoss doing dishes and those things, right? It's just, I'm not gonna pay you to do what you should do in our family. But there's some things that I will pay you for. I want you to learn work ethic. I want you to learn what it means to earn and work hard. So washing the car, I'll pay you a dollar for. I get off super well, I know. (laughs) Because I'll say, Connor, Cole, Collins, if you will do this, whatever the job is, I'll give you a dollar. What? A whole dollar to wash both cars? Done. My kids are like, I totally took dad over, man. Like, I came out on top. And at the end of it, I'm like, this is the best thing ever. I love having kids. I get it. Here you go, Connor. He's like, now I'm thinking, what are you going to do with a dollar? Like, if I handed any of you a dollar, you're like, don't spend it all in one place, I guess. Like, okay, thanks. When I hand this to my eight-year-old, his eyes get this big, and he's like, dad, can we go to the dollar store? I can buy anything I want. We will spend an hour in the dollar store. Him just walking around. I could buy anything I want in here. I've got so many options. This is the best thing ever. I'm like, pick a piece of junk and let's go home. (laughs) To him, he's rich. And I'm like, well, yeah, you don't pay rent. Of course you can spend whatever you want on a dollar store. There's a lot of things I don't charge you for. In our relationship with Jesus, he's looking at us saying, I see your suffering and I see everything you think you don't have, but I see so much more than just what you're going through. Now, I don't know this because we, we don't read it here specifically, but if you read the rest of the gospels, I think we can make some assumptions here that when Jesus says, yet you are rich, he's saying, I see everything you don't have and I get it, but I see the friends and the closeness that you have because you're going through something difficult together. I see the family that you're tighter now because of this. I see the church that is rallying together behind me. I see your faith that is unwavering. I see how you are being provided for. Read Matthew chapter six and chapter seven if you wanna hear about God's provision in your life. So Jesus says, I see your suffering. I know about it, I experience it, I get it, but I see everything else too. Yet you are rich.
You get focused on what you don't have. Jesus says, I see that, but I see everything else that you do have. Yet you are rich. So Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus sees so much more than just what you're going through. And here comes the call to action. Here's what he tells the early church, the local church of Smyrna to do, and I think it'd be the same for us as well. He says, do not be afraid. I know about your suffering. I see everything you're going through. Don't be afraid. Now, if Jesus stopped there, it would be the most unhelpful call to action ever. Don't be afraid. Got it. Not helpful. It's like saying, don't think of a purple elephant. What are you thinking about? Purple elephants. You're welcome. You'll think about that all day today. It'd be like your boss pulling you in, having a one-on-one, saying, hey, we need to talk about your job performance. It's just not up to par. I need you to do better. Like, which part do better? Like, do better how? Do better with what? Like, it's not, no, 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 you know, just do better. Not helpful. See, what we have to do is we have to make a trade. If we're going to say, don't be afraid, if Jesus is going to call us to not be afraid, then he has to give us something else. I can't just not be afraid. I deal with this with my kids all the time. They're scared. I say, don't be afraid. And they say, oh, that's so much help. That's helpful, Dad. Thank you so much for telling me not to be afraid. No, it's kids don't be afraid because of what? We give them reasons, don't we? Don't be afraid because of. Fascinating study. If you ever want to dig a little bit deeper into this idea, do an entire Old Testament, New Testament study of the phrase, do not be afraid, and pay attention to what always follows that phrase. You know what you will not find? Don't be afraid, period. What you will find is, don't be afraid because I'm with you. Don't be afraid because the battle's already been won by me. Don't be afraid because I've gone ahead of you. Don't be afraid because. Every single time, God has given you a reason to trade your your fear for your faith. I know how to be afraid. No problem there. How do I get rid of it? How do I hold on to something else? That's what Jesus does here. He says, verse 10, do not be afraid. Be faithful. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Yes, you're currently suffering and you're going to continue to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. So Jesus is saying to this church, and I think he'd say the same thing to us as well, is don't be afraid, be faithful. In other words, trust Jesus with what you're going through. Jesus knows what you're going through. He sees so much more than what you're going through. So our call to action is to trust Jesus with everything that we're going through. Instead of being afraid, we hold on to our faith. Now, that's another one that, man, it's, it's great, but help me understand why. Like, putting my faith in, in who and what does it exactly mean to trust Jesus? Let me go back to verse 8, what we started with. How Jesus started his letter to this local church. Remember how he started it? He says, Remember who I am. Know who's writing to you right now. I am the first and the last. I died and came back to life. That's who we put our faith in. That's who we're trusting everything we go through. That's who we're trusting. Because Jesus is plainly stating that he is over life, over all things. And he is the conqueror over death. I can't think of anything else we would go through where that's not covered under overall life, first and last, and conquered death, died and came back to life. Anything we go through, he's got it. He says, I'm it. I'm not just a guy, I'm the guy. So we trust him with everything that we're going through because he's the first and the last. He died for our sins and came back to life and now gives us life. 
this life and hope for eternity. That's where we put our faith. That's where we put our trust. Now, here's the difficult part. How do you wake up tomorrow and be faithful? I have no idea. No, let's talk through that a little bit. What does that look like? Because you're going to go home today and you're going to have some problems just like we all do. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to have problems. You're going to have next week, next year. There's always going to be something. So if we're not going to be afraid, if we're going to fully put our trust in Jesus, how are we to wake up tomorrow and be faithful? I'm going to give you a suggestion. This is not an exhaustive list. This is not going to, this isn't going to take away your suffering. This isn't going to help you avoid suffering. This isn't going to minimize your suffering. Remember, we can't do that. What this is going to do is I think it's at least a step in the right direction of waking up tomorrow and being faithful every single day. It's going to help you stay faithful. Three things. There's a lot more, but let's at least start here. Psalms, songs, and smiles. Say that 10 times fast. (laughs) Say it with me. Psalms, songs, and smiles. Here's what I mean by that. If you wake up each day and focus on those three things, I think it will help you stay and be faithful no matter what you're going through. Psalms, read a psalm a day. Where do you start? Chapter one. Start there. Because Psalms is full of us crying out to God. We get to hear other people going through difficulties and sufferings and how they cry out to God. Let me give you an example. Psalm chapter 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed are those who make the Lord their trust. And that's only four verses. Imagine starting your day every day with psalms, crying out to God in the midst of your seasons of suffering and putting your trust in him. Psalms will help guide that. Songs. Worship songs live in two extremes. How great God is and how desperate we are for God. Find a song that fits your season, a worship song that fits your season, and you don't have to be able to sing, you don't have to sing well to do this, and that becomes your song in this season. Find one that's for you, that feels like it's, you couldn't have said it any better, and let that be your praise to God of how great God is and how desperate you are for him. Every single day, put it on repeat, do what you gotta do, so that becomes your song in this season of suffering. Smiles. Intentionally put people in your life that make you smile. See, when you're going through a season of suffering, the last thing you need is for a critic. The last thing you need is an explanation. The last thing you need is for somebody to say, well, let's figure out how you got here so you don't get back here. What you need is a cheerleader. What you need is a champion. What you need is somebody that will come alongside you and encourage you and remind you of verse eight in Revelation chapter two that says he is the first and the last, that he died for you and he conquered death and now gives us life. That's you. You need somebody that will constantly remind you of who Jesus is, not the difficulty that you're in. Put somebody in your life that reminds you of who Jesus is constantly. Jesus promises that we will have sufferings. John 16, he tells us, in this life, you will have troubles. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Our hope is in Jesus, the first and the last, the one who died 
and came back to life. So I can't help you get out of your suffering. I can't help you avoid it. Can't help you minimize it. Jesus doesn't even do that. He tells you how to walk through it. He says, I'm with you every step of the way. First John chapter five tells us why our hope goes in him. First John chapter five, verse five. Who is it that overcomes the world? What a great question. You could almost rephrase it. How am I supposed to get through this world? How am I supposed to get through the sufferings that I'm dealing with? The answer, only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is a conqueror over all things. And when we put our faith in him, we get to be conquerors as well. Jesus knows what you're going through. He sees so much more than what you're going through. So trust Jesus with what you are going through. If you would close your eyes with me at home and here in the room, I believe there's power in something that we not just believe, but something we say. So maybe you're gonna say this for the very first time, or maybe this is just a redeclaration. You're saying it again. I believe in saying things over and over and over again until you believe it. Think it till you believe it. I want you to repeat after me. We're going to make a declaration that our hope, our faith, our trust is in Jesus. Because suffering is temporary, even if it feels like it's going to last forever. Say this prayer with me. Jesus Christ, I put my hope in you. I need a Savior, and I need a Lord. I know I'm not perfect, but I know you are. I believe that you are the first and the last, that you died for my sins and you came back to life. Thank you for giving me life. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you so much for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for conquering sin and death. Thank you for going to the cross and experiencing all the things that we have and even the things that we should have. The wages of sin is death, but... You have paid our debt. You've paid the price for our mistakes and our rebellion against you. So in our seasons of suffering, may we rely on you more than anything or anyone else. May we put our hope, our trust, and our faith in you and you alone. In your name, amen.